praise God for those songs, rich songs, heartily sung. Let's take the message thereof to heart, particularly that last one. Each time we sing it, it's probably only the second time, but I pick up on new details and imagery that's there that missed me maybe the first time. What we are doing always when we proclaim the gospel, when we explain the word, is holding the Christ light to those who are in darkness. That's why we place such an emphasis on the proclamation of God's word, because we believe that this message is light, and it points us to the light made flesh, the one who said, I am the light of the world. And even as we hold the, the Christ light out to those who walk in darkness, we hear the voice of Jesus saying, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Let's pray that we would be a hilltop city at nighttime that shines in the dark and that ministers great comfort and peace. Let's, let's go to the Lord just now. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would make of us all servants. For, forgive us for any way in which we have strutted through life. Help us to serve. Help us to serve in life. Help us to serve till death. Help us to minister to each other till we see the journey through. And we may know much of Christ's love and much of Christ's agony as well in this journey. We may find our, 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 ourselves needing someone to lean on. We may find many others leaning on ourselves. Help us to be strong. We ask not that you make our burdens lighter, but that you make our shoulders stronger so that we might minister more effectively to those around us. Indeed, I, I pray first for myself this morning in this way, that you would help me to faithfully shepherd the flock of Jesus Christ, not to do so um, in any way uh, that is negligent on the one hand or abusive on the other, but emulating and imitating Jesus Christ, our Savior. Indeed, help us all to pursue Christ-likeness in our conduct before one another, and help us now as we turn to your word to be refreshed thereby. In Jesus' name and for his sake, amen. Locate in your Bibles this morning the New Testament letter of 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy, and in just a moment I'm going to read from the um, third chapter. 1 Timothy chapter 3. Before us is simply one verse this morning. 1 Timothy chapter 3 verse 13. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. I'll read it again. It's short. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith 
that is in Christ Jesus. I'd like to, to warmly welcome those of you who are with us for the, the first time. You catch us actually at the very end of a series uh, on what's the deal with deacons. We've been preparing the church for the recognition of deacons this morning, in fact. So we'll have that a bit later in the service. Over these past few weeks, we've looked at roots, talking about where deacons come from. There in the book of Acts chapter 6, when you have a, a group of Hellenistic Jewish women, that is of Greek language, culture, and sometimes even ethnicity, who were being neglected and marginalized in the early church because they weren't Hebrews. A representative number of Hellenistic men were appointed as servants of the church to serve tables and to do so in such a way that no one, whoever they were, wherever they were from, whatever language they spoke or ethnicity they had or culture defined uh, their, um, their lives, no one would be neglected. And then, of course, there was persecution that, that arose against the church at Jerusalem. And that sort of led us into that second message on representatives, the deacons, representatives. Uh, so, so, you know, who, who can we look to and say, ah, they, they are good deacons. They are the type of deacon that we want representing our order. They are the, the, the type of person we, we should look to and learn from and emulate if we're going to um, be deacons or if we are going to hold our deacons accountable. And, and we saw persecution um, um, arose and uh, it started really with Stephen speaking. He was cast out of the city. He was tried by um, uh, an unjust mob and he was killed outside the city whilst offering forgiveness to his murderers. Sounds a lot like Jesus. In many ways, Stephen was very much like Jesus. You can see in his conduct a man who was intentional about imitating Christ. Many Christians were driven out of Jerusalem by that whole scenario and the persecution that followed it, one of them was Philip, one of the men like Stephen who was appointed to serve tables. But we don't see him serving tables anymore. He's not even there in the city to serve tables. But as he leaves Jerusalem, it says that he went from place to place telling people the good news about Jesus. And we see that he was faithful to do so, whether he was speaking to Samaritan crowds or to African men in the desert on their own. Then we get to later on in uh, the New Testament, Romans chapter 16, and there is a woman who is actually the only person introduced with the formula servant of the church at or deacon of the church at. That formula is nowhere else used um, in Scripture in the New Testament, and it is nowhere used with a name. So the only person who is given such a title and named is Phoebe, who we are told was servant of the church at Syncria, deacon of the church at Syncria, and 
a patron of the Apostle Paul and many. She stewarded her wealth. She stewarded her, her position, her influence to the blessing and benefit of the church, um, ad administrative, caring ministry that uh, was, was very useful both to her church and to many others beyond it to facilitate the advance of the gospel. So Stephen imitated Christ. Philip proclaimed Christ. Phoebe was a servant of the church of Christ. And last week we were talking about requirements and responsibilities. And, and, and we saw that the responsibilities that we are given in Scripture in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 8 through 12 are not do this, don't do that, in the sense of clean the church, don't put the recycling in the black bin, or any number of those other hands getting dirty practical tasks that we must pay attention to, but rather matters of character. Because when your character is right, your conduct will be. When you have good character, and when the church has taken care to investigate the character and to observe the character of those who are appointed to the task and to hold them accountable when they seem to wander or drift in some way, then their conduct will be such as they'll do the right things. And maybe when they don't do the right things, their character is such that when you go to them and say, get it sorted, they'll get it sorted. They are servants. And therefore they have a demeanor of serving and of service, a, a disposition of that. Their characteristics are what qualify them more than whether they can fulfill a tick list of conduct expectations. Of course, you know, if, if, if they're milling about doing absolutely nothing, uh, then they will not even reach the, 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 that point where they are considered for uh, diaconal service, or they should not. In our church, we do not wish to go around stamping labels on people or dishing out titles. I uh, mentioned uh, uh, very disturbing experiences that I've had over the years where I am um, I'm tasked with the um, uh, important and, and confidential role of, of counseling people in all sorts of situations and people from other churches, um, not even of like faith and practice necessarily, but they'll reach out because they, they think, you know, well, he doesn't know anyone we know. We can, we can be vulnerable with him. And the horrific things that I hear, totally disqualifying, and I tell them so. I have to tell them you're not born again sometimes. You're not saved. You never were. And then I find out they were ordained to something. Or they have this ministry, or that office, or that role. I'm thinking, what, this, this, the church is not a rave, and church offices are not a confetti gun. Just be spraying out ordinations all over the place. 
This is the house of the living God. And, 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 and if we want to safeguard our brothers and sisters, that's a big conversation now, a necessary conversation. If we want to protect people from abuse, if we want to, if, if we want to guard ourselves from narcissists on the platform and, and the, in the pulpit or out in the congregation even, if we want to, to make sure that our leadership is holy and our church culture is wholesome, then we will pay attention to what Scripture says even when it makes us uncomfortable and means someone who may be gifted but is not godly gets passed because they have no business in the role. And sometimes when things happen that are beyond all human control or expectation that we act promptly to hold accountable those who fall short of the qualification standards of Scripture. We must do this. We must take it seriously. Far too much church hurt could have been avoided if the church had been faithful to God. And I'm sad when, when, when someone gives up on, on any church experience, any fellowship with believers, because it's not God's fault. It's not Jesus' fault. But it's really disorienting when people who say they believe in Jesus don't live as Jesus Lived. Don't walk after Jesus. Don't even pursue Christ or Christ-likeness. Don't square up to the realities of the Christian life. That's why we've been at pains to, to talk about deacons over the past weeks. And although today is the final sermon in that series, I want to uh, remind you of all of that because it pours into this point all of these things being considered. We're now able to think of something Really and truly wonderful, and that is the deacon's reward. We've seen roots, we've seen uh, representatives, we've seen responsibilities. Now we look at reward. Those who serve well, those who deacon well, gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. No need for a fancy structure from this particular verse. It's there, very visible for us. Those who serve well. Let's be very clear. It's not just those who, who, who are given a title. It's not just those who are called deacon. It's not just those who are entrusted with service. It's about what they do with what has been entrusted to them. We have so emphasized justification by grace through faith in Christ alone, salvation not of works, lest anyone should boast, that it seems that some professing followers of Jesus have quite forgotten that they are supposed to be renewed and transformed, buried with Christ and raised to walk in newness of life. And the same goes for people in church offices. You are not given a title just because. You are given a responsibility, an office, an order to do something with it, to exercise it, and not to do so characterized by mediocrity, but by excellence. You are servants of the church of Jesus Christ. 
I'm talking to those who bear the office of deacon or are deacons elect that we will recognize formally later. You are introducible by me, like the Apostle Paul introduced Phoebe, as a servant of the church at Wood Green. I don't want to be introducing you as a servant of the church at Woodgreen, and then people get to know you and they get to observe you and maybe I've recommended you to another church and you're going to be there for a while and they're like, wow, they must have been really pressed for options. What is this person doing? Or that it reflects badly on the discernment of the church and its leaders. Ooh, they, you know, they're a simple bunch, I know, but this, this really, it's a bit cringe-inducing. I'm saying that not to be mean or cruel. I'm saying that to encourage you to be who you ought to be in Jesus Christ. That's a scenario that I want to avoid, that I hope to avoid, and that you should hope to avoid. And the way you hope to avoid it is by working to avoid it. It's not a passive thing. The deacons who serve well. That is active, proactive, characterized by proactivity and initiative. Seeing things that need to be done and doing it or delegating to someone who can do it. Those who serve well. So he's not, he's, he, what follows is not for those simply who say they serve or who are told to serve, but it's for those who serve well, who pour themselves into the ministry of deacons. First of all, they gain a good standing for themselves. Now that's not to say, as some have quite erroneously, that they get to heaven and, 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 and they, they have a, a more of a, a leg up in, um, in the eyes of God because, well, the church appointed them as a deacon. That's, again, works-based salvation. This is not about your standing before God. Your standing before God, having a good standing before God, is only by grace, through faith, in Jesus. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. So if, if this is something that you desire or pursue because you think it will give you brownie points in the eyes of the Lord, then that's not really, um, um, you know, you're in the wrong place. You know, you've got to confess that and withdraw. But... This, this is about honor in the body of believers. It's about standing among your brothers and sisters. Now that's something that we can all, I hope, in this room agree that it's not about standing in heaven. It's not about where you stand before God. But sometimes people in, in this sort of burn it all down uh, sort of um, revolutionary mindset, uh, uh, anti-hierarchical sort of anarchy that um, people have in their hearts and minds is, is like a good standing among, you know, th that means there's people that are worthy of more honor in the church. Well, the Bible teaches that. So, um, you know, tough if that's not something that, you know, you're prepared to accept. We can talk about that. I'm happy to have a reasonable conversation with you along those lines. 
The Scriptures do indicate that there are some, particularly those who labor hard and work well um, in the church, who are worthy of honor. Some even are worthy of double honor. And um, it, 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 it's, uh, it, it's quite dispiriting when the body of believers hears that, they receive that, and they focus on all of the things that that doesn't mean instead of what it does mean in showing honor. And it's also dispiriting when we talk about what honor means and what it doesn't mean and all of that, and then nothing's done with that up beyond the words. We have to put God's Word into practice. We have to apply it. It has tangible, observable effects on the body of Christ. And I know, you know, there's, again, people who have been burned. People have been in situations with, with arrogant narcissists who abuse and coerce and prance about like they're something and, um, um, and, and uh, fleece the, the, the flock of God. And so it can be difficult sometimes when you're rejecting that, which is ungodly, to, um, to hear those verses well, because often they were the verses that were abused and the verses that were used to bludgeon you or to emotionally manipulate you. But the, the Word of God is still there. Let's lay people's abuses and manipulations of it aside and let's see what does this mean in a wholesome environment which is seeking Christ-likeness and is dedicated to our flourishing as believers. Deacons gain a good standing. They are deacons. They are introducible, as Paul said to the church at Rome, as servants of the church at Syncria. When Paul commended Phoebe, we have something of what's going on in this text there worked out. Um, he warmly commends her to this other church. She's, she, in all likelihood, was one of those carrying the letter to the church at Rome. It was very common for deacons and deaconesses to be used as couriers in the early church. She goes to the church at Rome and gives the letter to the elders. The elders would have read it before the church on the, um, the, the Lord's Day gathering. And, and at the end of the letter, he says, I commend to you Phoebe. He, he encourages them to warmly welcome her in a way that is befitting and worthy. So deacons and deaconesses, you having a good standing means I and someone else in the church, we are able to warmly commend you to others to be worthily welcomed. And our experience of you is characterized by such warmth and thanksgiving that we say help them in whatever way they need. That's what Paul said about Phoebe. I would like to say that about you. Help them in whatever way they need. Now, if I need to settle up with them later or the church has to later, we'll do it. But, you know, help them. Minister to them. They serve others. Now's the time for you to serve them. They help many. Be a refreshment and a help to them. They could really use it. 
They gain a good standing for themselves. The biblical principle of honor to whom honor is due. Honor is due to those who conduct themselves honorably. So deacons and deacons elect, be honorable. Take your office seriously. Do not be slack. In the same way that we talked last week about your, your character and your, 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 your qualities, you would not have reached this point the way our church works. You would not have reached this point if we had not already examined that and assessed that. There was a period before you were voted on, people observing you. January, you were nominated at the members meeting in January. We kept watching. We kept talking. May, was it April? April. It was right after Easter. April the 11th. 11th of April. We voted. What's today? Something in June. Bad with numbers. Always been bad with the numbers. But end of June, 26th of June, 27th of June. My bad. Thank you, Deacon-elect David. Conducting yourself honorably. We will formally recognize you. Months. I don't play this year's game. No one has time for that. The early church didn't play that. But we have nominated you. We have tested you. We will recognize you. Don't, don't put the church to shame. Don't dishonor the body of Christ by being dishonorable or slack. You gain a good standing for yourself. There's a reward for you. But secondly, you gain great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Those of you who are used to my three-point sermons will, um, uh, will, will be relieved because I've just finished the verse. There's, there's not a third point. There's just two this morning. There was a prolonged preamble, so um, there, was, there was some content there. But this is the, indeed the final point. You gain great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. We talked last week about one of the qualifications for you to be deacons is that you're doctrinal. That is, you know biblical teaching. You're not dismissive of doctrine. You embrace it and you hold to it. You love it. You're able even to communicate it even though you're not necessarily um, supposed to be able to teach, you can still say, this I believe. And as you serve, that, that will not dim. That love for the mystery of the faith, that, that love for the faith itself, Will, will, will not lessen. Rather, your confidence will increase. As you serve and commit all the more to serving, you see the fruit of your labors. God blesses. You, you will not see fruit of labor if you do not labor. So deacons, you must labor. You will see the fruit of laziness which is empty fields, barren orchards, shriveled vineyards, 
to use agricultural language. It's a crumbling church. It's neglected people. In the Jerusalem church, it would have been a divide, the fruit of laziness and neglect would have been a divided, poorly represented congregation. Hungry and marginalized women, a poor witness, bad reputation, decreasing numbers, and a church that did not look outward and go out, but rather withdrew within itself and died a slow death. But the apostles said, choose for yourselves seven men of good character and reputation, filled with the Holy Spirit. And they chose seven men, and they laid hands on them. And we're told the Word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. Does that not give you confidence? Deacons, Michael, David, Fiona, Uliana, as you serve faithfully and you get on with what you are tasked with doing as you serve and find new ways of serving and pour yourself into service and take initiative and be proactive and do all sorts of things that you are doing and stuff that you aren't doing that you should be doing. But as you, as you devote yourself to that office, we've already begun to see it. The Word of God is continuing to increase in this place. The number of disciples is growing. It's, it's multiplied. We grew 50% last year. Pandemic year. And that's not talking about attendance. That's talking about membership. So, so when people who are supposed to serve, serve. And when people who are supposed to make disciples and equip and preach and teach and do evangelism and all that, do that stuff, then we have healthy apportioning of roles in the church. People are being reached. The disciples are multiplying. We're going to see it in this church even more. Why? Because I have faith. Great confidence in the faith. And you too will have great, great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus as you see the fruit of your labors. Acts chapter 7, Stephen has been faithful. He served tables. He, he, he ministered so well before he was even recognized that the church knew you know, thousands of people to be chosen by 15,000 people, one of seven out of fifteen to 20,000 people to be chosen for that task. This was a man full of the Holy Spirit and of wisdom, he's called. And he was tasked with the honor of serving vulnerable, marginalized, quite recently a bit mouthy perhaps, women who needed some help and weren't getting it. And he was given the honor of that. He found himself in a situation that the church didn't appoint him to, telling people about Jesus. They started arguing with him. He started giving answers. The next thing he knows, this man who was not appointed as an elder or as a pastor or as a teacher, but as a deacon, found himself taken before the Sanhedrin, treated very much like Jesus, unjustly tried, 
It said, though, his face was like that of an angel. He was totally innocent, and for a while he was silent. Perhaps he didn't think much about his gifting. Perhaps he didn't think that's his calling or that's what he's able to do. But in that moment, God gave him utterance. So one big difference between Jesus in front of the Sanhedrin and Stephen. Jesus kept his words very, very brief. Stephen gives the longest sermon in the book of Acts. It's just wisdom pouring out from him. He was faithful with what was given to him, whether it was baskets of food or the Word of God. He saw Jesus, and one way or the other, you will see Jesus if you serve him. Stephen gazed into heaven. And we're told this is before the mob rushed at him. He's just preached this message, and he's probably wondering what all pastors, preachers, teachers, anyone, evangelists, struck, they get to a point where they're like, should I say it? Should I not say it? Where they, the, the nail is in place, and all they have is one more blow to drive it home. He gets quiet. And he looks into heaven, and God was pleased to bless him with a preview of coming attractions, a trailer of the end. Because Jesus told the very men who were trying Stephen just a few months before that they would see heaven opened and the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Father on high. And it says he gazed into heaven, Stephen. And he saw the glory of God, and he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God. So he drove it in. He ended with a very pointed application that made everyone so angry that they stopped their ears and they ran screaming at him, threw him out of the city and stoned him to death. But there as he as he died, he was filled with peace, such peace that he was able to say, forgive them. Do not hold this sin against them, Father. Lord, not even Father, Lord Jesus, do not hold this sin against them. I don't know if that's going to be your experience or not. We can't presume these things. You will see Jesus. There's a reward. You will gain great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Acts chapter 8, Philip saw a large... You know, he was scattered by the persecution. He's not serving tables anymore. But again, faithful with what was given to him. Not with baskets, but with the Bible. He goes around preaching the good news about Jesus. And we're told that he saw large numbers and, individu and individuals come to faith through his commitment to evangelism. Whether it was masses of people, not even Hebrews, not even Hellenists, Samaritans. Masses of people coming to, to faith in Christ. The Ethiopian eunuch on his own out in the wilderness. 
Jesus had promised the disciples, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Philip was a servant of the church at Jerusalem. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria. He was faithful to take the gospel into Judea and Samaria, the city of Samaria and the road from Jerusalem to Gaza, which is desert. And through that, Jesus also said, you will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. This man known in Greek as an atheop, that is, burnt skin. That was what they called black people in that day. An African man traveled down to Africa and preached the gospel and planted churches to the ends of the earth. One man simply being faithful in a season of great personal disruption. You would say that's reward enough. It gives you great confidence to see that kind of thing. To, to know I, I, I had a simple conversation with the man in the desert in his chariot and now I hear stories about people being saved in a continent I've never been to and don't know anything about. That would give you confidence, would it not? One person, masses of people in a faraway place trusting Christ. But the reward was even closer to home because later in Acts 21, Philip is still in Caesarea where the Holy Spirit eventually led him at the end of Acts chapter 8. And we're told that he hosted the apostles in his home. And we're told just offhand that he had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. He was faithful in his family. And he saw reward in his family as the women in his family trusted Christ and carried on doing what their dad did and telling people about Jesus. Acts chapter 21 tells us that. And that's, that's, um, that's Stephen and Philip. Phoebe, the other example we gave, she's commended. She's warmly welcomed. She's honored. She, she bears great honor in the life of the church. So, friends, whether it's you find yourself like Stephen or like Philip or like Phoebe, whatever you become known for eventually, if you are known for anything other than who you are in Christ, there is reward. The reward is found in Jesus. And the reward is increasing. It's nothing else. It's confidence in the faith because you see up close and personal God at work. You know He lives. You know He is able. And you know He's working in and through you, whatever the situation. So, deacons, deaconesses, there is a reward for you. Can I encourage you never to fall into self-pity? To never think, hey, you know what, I'm just, um, you know, I'm just working away. No one has any respect. It's always me. Just me. On my own. Shouldn't be just you on your own. There's several of you now. But there's reward. You know those moments where you say things that simply are not true? 
these broad sweeping generalizations. You know, you never help me with anything. Have you ever told someone something like that? And it's not true because, and the thing is, it's a pride moment for that person as well because then they have a wonderful opportunity to, to unload on you all of the ways in which they have this time and that time helped you. Oftentimes those exchanges are a bit toxic and not sanctified in any way on either part. But let's avoid those things, shall we? And let's, let's see Christ who uniquely on his own served us and gave himself up for us. Let's despise the shame of the cross. Let's take up our cross and for the joy laid before us, carry it. Scrub toilets. Administer the rota. Make last minute changes when someone drops out or isn't able or doesn't do the job right. Look after the food bank. Check in with, with people we've not seen in a while. Inquire about someone who's unwell and housebound about their needs. If you can get anything for them, they may, they may say, no, no, we have it. You know, we, you know, we're not dinosaurs. There's internet. We can order things from Sainsbury's now. But they'll appreciate the gesture. You called. You reached out. Serve. And, and go to people and ask them to let you serve. As we sang, brother, sister, let me serve you. And when the time comes, let them serve you too. Amen.